of the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And the sin and communication by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. God, I thank you for today. I thank you just for, for what we've been learning from Romans. God, I thank you for how it's been convicting me, and for how I know it's been convicting my brothers and sisters. Um, God, I pray for Brandon today. I pray that as he's speaking from your word, um, he would just speak the things of the Spirit, that he wouldn't speak... Um, any of his own opinions or um, ideas, but God, that it would just be from your word, what you've taught him as he studied. And God, I pray for all of our hearts that they would be softened to what you're saying. God, I pray that we wouldn't be prideful, but God, that we would submit to what your word says and that we would live out whatever it is that you have for us today. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, sis. Good morning. Okay, we are going to continue in Romans. Right? And as Melissa read, last week we, uh, we uh, looked at the first half of Romans chapter 7. So be, be there and be ready to go because we're going to finish out the remainder of Romans chapter 7 today. Um, over the last uh, four months, five months, we have been studying the book of Romans. Okay? And uh, I think it's appropriate occasionally for us to discuss um, why. Uh, and so Romans for us has functioned as a way of, of gaining a better hold on what it means to be saved. Okay? What it means to be a believer. What it means to be a Christian. And as you see Paul working out in the, in the Roman church, okay, in the early days of the church, what you see him working out and the arguments that, that he is dealing with, and the doctrines that he's working through with them are all inc- incredibly appropriate for us today. And the last few weeks specifically, last couple months specifically, we've been looking at, at Jewish oppositions, things in their mind that are a hurdle to their, to their salvation and living uh, in the, the actuality of their, of their salvation. And at the heart of the last month or so has been this idea of identity. What does it mean to be justified? Okay? And the Jews, as, as very religious people who've come to know Christ here historically, what they're struggling with is reconciling their views about religion and being good and gaining God's favor um, with, uh, with the grace and the power of just simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so uh, in, in chapter 7, <coughs> uh, last week we focused on verse 4 specifically. Okay, is it dark in here? It's a little dark in here. Yeah, hook me up, Miles. See if those lights are all on. There we go. Look at us. We, were, we didn't even know we were in darkness. We had no idea. And then the light came and condemned us. Right? That we might see and, and recognize our sin for what it really is. Praise God. I'm done. I'm going to go. <laughs> Verse 4 of Romans chapter 7 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, the, the body, uh, uh, by the body of Christ, 
that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should uh, bring forth fruit unto God. And here's the picture of Romans chapter 7. Uh, what we see is Paul using the metaphor of a, of a marriage relationship. Okay? I swear I'm going to fall and you guys are going to love it, aren't you? Yeah, you Alex will cry out of my life. Paul going to do that. You don't do that? You retired? Spiritual maturity. Oh, you did? Yeah. Um, the, the, the picture that's given to us by Paul is a beautiful one. And what he says, he's telling these Jewish, these Jewish believers, these people who have come to know Christ, that when they were bound by the laws of the Old Testament, those Mosaic laws, it was like being married to a husband where you're only dutiful to them. That your relationship is only based on obedience. And that type of relationship has very little fulfillment, doesn't it? We talked about that in the, in the marriage relationships that we've seen. We've seen marriage relationships where, where one of the, per, the people in the relationship feel in bondage to the other one. The other one is overpowering. And even in the first message this morning, Sam pictured that for us, that, that, uh, that the, the law um, uh, of, of the Old Testament was really just there to, to condemn us and show us our need for, for God, right? And so that first relationship, that first marriage, uh, wasn't liberating. Okay? What it did is it showed us our need for a Savior. Right? And then what happened is when, the, when Jesus Christ came and died and rose again, the Jews at that moment could, could make a decision. Either they remain adulterers in the world or they get married to Jesus. They had the, they had the option. But the law was no longer the option. The law is no longer an option for the Jewish people. Okay? The option is either be an adulterer or get married to Jesus which is preferable. And the way that Paul describes it is that in that marriage relationship with Jesus, we find freedom, we find liberty, okay? And we find the ability to be fruitful. So, so Paul's point is that the second marriage covenant was entered by grace through faith. And in this marriage relationship, we have, we have been set free from sin and death and made to be co-heirs with him. And his inheritance becomes our own. Um, last week we talked about this, uh, this, this subject matter, and um, Smaldo, I don't see him this morning, Smaldo got saved. Right? You guys know Smaldo? Yeah. Okay? Uh, he's been coming to the FOI Bible study. He prayed a prayer of salvation last Sunday. Now let me explain something to you. Okay? Smaldo comes from a Catholic background. Okay? He comes from a, from a background that, that's very religious. I mean, he's, he's grown up his whole life. Okay, ascribing to certain truths that we would hold to as well. But the difference was, in his mind, he was working to earn God's favor. And he was functioning in life uh, the same way the Jews of the Old Testament did. That, that, that if they acted a certain way, if they, if they lived a certain way in a certain lifestyle, that somehow the filthiness of their sin would be covered. But the truth is, religion is just putting filthy rags over filthiness. That's all it really is. And what we need is to be set free from that cycle. And he recognized that for himself that last Sunday, and he told himself, and he told the Lord, that from here on, he's going to lean into the grace of Jesus Christ. And he, he gained a new husband. Right? He recognized that the old husband was dead, and that he needed
of Jesus Christ. This Friday um, at school, I had a student uh, come to me and tell me that, uh, that they were struggling, that they were incredibly burdened, and that they couldn't find any peace. Uh, they, they, uh, this particular student actually um, had a, a pregnancy scare with his girlfriend. And uh, the parents found out, you know, he's a 17-year-old kid. The parents found out about the relationship and what was going on. And, uh, and so they forced them to break up, okay? right? which is probably what good parents would do. But these students, these, this boy and this girl, I only know the male student here, um, uh, he grew up Catholic as well, and, and his parents uh, grounded him, and he's been spending the last month in his bedroom after school and just hanging out. He has no way of communicating, his phone is taken. And, um, and so he's receiving the consequence of his sin. He feels the condemnation. He recognizes that he's wicked. But no one could provide for him an answer for, for his issue. No one could help him be delivered from the cycle of sin that he finds himself in. He has no answer for his situation. And I asked him, I said, do you have, do you have peace? He's like, no, I've just been depressed. I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. And I got to introduce him to peace, and he accepted Jesus Christ in my classroom on Friday. Now, now let me explain to you. We are surrounded by people in our lives that are suspended in cycle of religion, cycles of religion, where they're working and just covering up their sin. They've invented some sort of methodology that they believe, some sort of moral code that, that, that they believe is somehow going to cover up the fact that really they're just dirty. And they need an answer. And we carry that answer. And we should find great hope in that. But, he, but here's the issue. And this is what we're looking at today. Is that sometimes we as Christians also go back and to try to rely on duty. And try to rely on our flesh. And try to rely on religion to come somehow cover our sin. And it's not sufficient. It's not sufficient. And so we've been talking about this idea of identity. And what the Bible's been telling us is that our identity is sourced clearly in the fact that we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. And that's where we're going to be looking as we enter in to verse 13. I'm going to pray again. Can we do that? Yeah? Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you this morning. And uh, Lord, you have a lot to communicate. And I know for a fact that my message is uh, tail heavy. And so I know that there's a lot to cover and, and the juicy stuff's at the end. And so God, I need you to help me to be uh, efficient with the way that I teach this morning so that we can get to, to what you've put on my heart. And uh, God, I just ask that you would show us this morning what it means to follow you in the reality of our salvation. Yes, Lord. That we would be living day to day uh, through your spirit, alive to you and dead to our sin. That wouldn't own us. That we wouldn't have to serve it. That we wouldn't have to find ourselves once again under the letter of the law. But we can find ourselves in the freedom of your spirit provided to us by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you for this time. In your son's name, amen. So when we ended last week, we found ourselves discussing the virtue of the law because the Jews were like, okay, well, if we're, if we're uh, no longer bound by the law, is the law still good? Right? And Paul's answer was yes. Yes, it is good. Because without the law, we would not know our sin. And so uh, we, can, we uh, know that in Galatians, Paul addressed this issue. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, or I'm sorry, in Galatians uh, uh, 
Well, we'll get there in a second. I'll read it here in a moment. But Galatians describes for us that the law was a schoolmaster. Okay, Sam talked about this today. The law was a schoolmaster. Its job was to teach us, to instruct us. But, but it, it, it had no answer for our sin. It had no, uh, uh, there was no absolution for the wickedness that, that was within us. Okay, and it simply served to point us towards Christ. Verse 13 says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me uh, by that which is good. That sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding, uh, exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So we're not, it's not that the, the, the law itself is dead. Right? We understand that, right? The law is still alive. It's a spiritual truth. Okay? The law for us provides a spiritual insight into the lawgiver, God. So it's not the law itself that is dead. It's that we are dead to the repercussions and the judgment of the law. And that we became dead to sin because God's law exposed our wickedness. It did its job. It was the schoolmaster. It showed us that we needed a savior. But here's the problem, and here's the dilemma that comes with the rest of chapter 7. The problem is that even though we are set free from sin, and we're made alive to Christ, we still face the same temptations that we faced before our salvation. Verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And so here we're introduced to the fact that we still have a tendency towards sin, even though we've been justified in Jesus Christ. We know God's commands are spiritual, and they deserve to be obeyed. But there's an ongoing problem inside of us. And even though I'm justified, I still find myself sinning and doing things that I know are wicked. And if we're honest, which we should be about our sin, some of us aren't very honest about our sin. You know, the great thing is that, that I love about Kaya is that a lot of you guys aren't afraid to go to one another or come to me and say, this is my problem. This is where I'm struggling. And we need to make that habit because if we don't do that, we will continually find ourselves wallowing in sin. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. And in that, we can find freedom and we can pray for one another fervently that God might set us free from those sins. We need one another. And if we're not confessing our faults one toward another, there's a problem. But if we're honest, which we should be about our sin, we must recognize that we are constantly being tempted to do things that in our spiritual man we don't want to do. Okay? So Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. Uh, the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And so here's my first question for you. And the question that we should be asking ourselves is how do I make my spiritual reality my physical reality? That's, that's the struggle. Is the thing that I know is true within me, that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of me, that I've been set free from sin, okay? And the intellectual knowledge of knowing that I've been justified in Jesus Christ, how do I take that and make that a living thing on a day-to-day -day basis? It's not very easy. It's not very easy. And I'm not saying that to be humble. I'm saying it because it's biblical. And Paul spends the rest of the chapter explaining how the apostle himself struggles with this. He has a hard time with this. And so in the following verses, Paul uses himself as an example. 
of the duality of our nature and how hard it is sometimes to do what we know we are supposed to do. It's hard. It's hard. Right? Can we all agree to that? So let's look at at verse 15. And I want to say this. I'm, I'm not an amazing reader. I think I have a slight dyslexia. I'm being serious. I think I do. I've always felt this way. Um, and, and, and so when I read this, this is the hardest series of verses for me to read in the entire Bible. That's, so bear with me. I'm going to read through them. And we'll just see how I do. And then we'll come back and we'll break them down. We'll break them down verse by verse, which is easier for me to do. Because I'm not very smart. Okay? All right. So verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that, I, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I, I, here we go, that I would, I do not. Right? But the evil which I would not, that I do. For if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Okay? So what do I get? A B minus? Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 15, the first thing that we recognize in our struggle is that there's a hindrance against the work of God when we struggle. There's a hindrance to the work. Paul says, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. First of all, Paul recognizes that his sin keeps him from doing the things that he knows he's supposed to do. In other words, sin in his life becomes a distraction a stumbling block. It keeps him from focusing on the things that he's supposed to be doing with his life. You know, we talked about this a lot. The fact that we have this new husband in Jesus Christ liberates us and makes us free. Free to do things that we couldn't do before. He's empowered us. But yet, when we find ourselves struggling with sin, it keeps us from doing the things that we would. So the question is this. This is our question. What is it that we as Christians are supposed to do? Right? We should probably first uh, figure that out. Right? What is it that Christians are supposed to do? 1 Corinthians 15.58, uh, we actually read this in main service, says that there's potential to labor in vain. We could spend our whole lives laboring in vain and doing our vocation in vain. So what is our vocation? What is it that Christians are supposed to do? Now I'm asking this, not rhetorically. I want you to respond. What is it that Christians do? Read their Bible and pray. We've been asked to study to show ourselves approved, right? And so God has called us to study his face through his word and to know him better. And then also to be in a prayer relationship with him. Okay, those are commands. That is work. That is part of our vocation. What are the things that are, is it that our Christians are supposed to do? Share the gospel. Share the gospel. To be evangelists, right? And to make disciples. Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission. To go into the world and to teach people what it means to follow Jesus Christ. What else are we supposed to do, Uriah? The, the great commandment? 
The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We're supposed to love one another. So, so fellowship is absolutely crucial. That's part of what we do. We're supposed to love one another the way Christ loved us. We're supposed to put ourselves second, put one another first. And we're supposed to live in that commandment. That's, a, that's part of our, the actuality of our job. That's part of our vocation is loving one another. Worship, right? That was the one I was looking for from the worship leader. That's okay. <laughs> it's good that your heart is set on loving others. Though. So worship is, is what we're supposed to do. That's part of our vocation is doing the work of worship. And what Paul says here is that when he's struggling with sin and he's struggling with his flesh, he finds the evil in him distracting him or hindering him from doing the work that he's supposed to do. You guys ever feel that way? You guys ever feel that your sin and the cycles of sin in your life keep you from doing the things that you ought to do? That brings us to our key point, key point number one. When Christians yield to sin, it is a distraction from our true vocation. It's a distraction from our true vocation. Paul says his life is an example of how sin is a roadblock from the true mission at hand. And so I want to ask you this. What are the sins in your life that distract you from doing what you know you should? We've all got them. And you should probably, those of you who are taking notes, you should probably jot some down right now. What are the things that are, are going on in your life? You find yourself, you just keep going back to those things, and they prevent you from living the Great Commission, living the Great Commandment, studying the Word of God daily, loving one another. What are the things that keep you from doing that? Right? We talked about bitterness for the last two weeks in main service. What are the things that have caused you to be bitter? What kind of things cultivate sin in your life that you yield yourselves to those sins and they keep you from doing what God's asked you to do? That is the byproduct of sin. That's the byproduct of this, of this duality. Is that we find ourselves struggling back and forth between our two natures. Verse 16. Sin declares that sin is good. Sin declares that sin is good. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. The word consent here means to permit or to approve. And so when Christians, point number two, key point number two, is when Christians yield to sin, it establishes that sin is a virtuous thing. Okay? Let let me me make that more practical. When you fail, When the struggle manifests itself for evil, when you fall back into sin, you are declaring for everyone around you that you believe that sin is okay. Am I right? When people look at you, the lost world looks at you, they think to themselves, I'm so glad that that Christian messed up. Because what it does for them is it justifies their own sinful wickedness. It makes sin virtuous. And we, and we recognize this about the world, right? The world sees selfishness as a virtue. In our world. Okay, that's why phrases like, oh, you do you. That's, that's why phrases like that exist. Because what we believe as a society is this. That if you just do the things that satisfy you, and, and you live in that, and you actualize that in your life, it doesn't matter what the repercussions are. You're doing what's in your best interest. Thank goodness that you're doing that because it gives me the liberty to do what's in my best interest. If you live that way, then I can live that way. And everyone can live that way. And we can just all 
do our thing. And what we do when we do that as, as Christians, as believers, as people who are set apart, those who are married to Jesus Christ, is what we're, do is, what we're doing is we're establishing sin as a virtue. You know, I sent a message to, to the Bible study leaders this week and, and tried to encourage them uh, from Judges chapter 16. Okay, Judges chapter 16, verse 23. You guys know the story of Samson, right? <clears throat> that dude was caught up in a cycle of sin. And he kept doing the things that he knew he shouldn't do. And eventually it produced in him absolute brokenness. And he finds himself in the temple of his enemies, okay, tied to a couple of pillars, being mocked. And, and what is it that people say? Look at verse 23. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice in the day on their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, Dagon. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. See, Samson's sinfulness and, his, and the place that he finds himself in here justifies for the enemy their wickedness and idolatry. They believe that they're right. And our sin does the same thing. And it's frustrating. Because, you know what? We're going to occasionally sin. We're going to occasionally mess up. And so it makes it particularly frustrating knowing that when we do, that it hurts God. But again, we must recognize that we are not our sin. It is not who we are. And because of that, we need to live in victory. And we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But, but in the meantime, more negative. Sorry. Sin is so persuasive, isn't it? Sin is so persuasive. And Paul points that out in verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Okay, so sin is persuasive. It's got a great influence over our lives, doesn't it? Now, when Paul says this, it's easy to read it as him pointing at his sin. Like, you can read this the wrong way. And it can look like he is justifying his sin a little bit, isn't it? It can look here that he is uh, making an excuse for his wickedness. By just pointing at sin and saying, well, it's sin's fault. It's sin's fault. Uh, that's the reason I do what's wrong. But we've got to read it more carefully than that. He says, now then, there's no more that, uh, more than I that do it. Okay? Once upon a time, before Paul was saved, it was in his very nature to sin. His very nature was sinfulness. And that's what he's talking about here is this difference. Okay, so there's the then you. There's the once upon a time you. The you that once had a sinful nature and a sinful inclination. Right? Before you accepted Jesus Christ, listen to me very carefully. This is important. You had a sin nature. To sin was just who you were. And, and because of that, you had a sinful inclination. You had a desire to serve sin, and it, you continued down that path. Okay, but the difference is, when you got saved, sin was no longer your nature. Your nature was that you were quickened unto God. That you were made alive in Him. So, the, the now you, the now version of you, is that you are co-inhabited both by a spiritual nature and still a sinful inclination. The sinful inclination still exists. It hasn't gone anywhere. Because you know why? This is still here. We, we still have flesh. All of the fleshly desires and inclinations that existed before still persist. 
But the difference is, our, is our nature. You know, um, do you, do any of you guys like live on your own? You, you like uh, you have an apartment or something? Or, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has anybody ever had roommates before? Yeah. Um, you know, some of you guys don't want me to preach this message. Right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. What Paul's pointing to here is, is his, he's distinguishing between how once upon a time he was the sinner. And now, just sin just dwells in him. Right? He was a sinner, but now that he's saved, sin just dwells in him. In other words, now we are no longer people of sin, we just share an apartment with them. We just share an apartment with sin. Okay? Uh, it's like this. It's like uh, uh, two guys, right? College age. We'll just say they're college age. They're both lost in their sin. They get an apartment together. Now, what's that like? It's fun. It's a good time. Right? It's a good time. Two bros hanging out, living simple, living a little lost. Right? Now, those two guys living together, everything is hunky dory. I'm sorry, that was very groundhog. Hunky dory. What, what should I say? Everything cool, everything was cool. Hunky dory's okay? So everything's good. They're living, they're living like minded, aren't they? They're living a like-minded lifestyle. They're both on the same page. These two guys are having a good time together, being young. You only live once, right? Okay, now, listen to me. One of them gets saved. What's that apartment become like? There's tension, isn't there? There's tension because, because one person isn't really sure why the other person wants to live a different way now. That buddy that they had that they could always go to, they can't go to them anymore. The wicked man feels abandoned. And the saved man feels lonely. He feels, he, he feels as though he doesn't fit. And he's always going to be tempted by the other roommate. The other roommate is going to be calling him and saying, Dude, there's these girls, man. I'm up here. Blind tiger. Bro. <laughs> and there's these girls, you've got to go up there fast. And now here's the deal. The other man is going to feel the pull. But it's not who he is. In every one of us, there's an apartment. And there's two people living in there. There's two people living in there. And one has a spiritual nature, and the other has a sinful inclination. And as, as long as, as you remain in that apartment, you know, the advice for someone in that situation, let me just take the counsel out of the way. Uh, believer, you should probably move out. That's the advice there. That's just FYI. That's a, that's a side note. But as, as long as you're living in that apartment, which you are, as long as you're on this earth, you can't, like for us, the picture is you don't move out of that apartment until God redeems you and takes you to a new apartment. Right? Until you go to heaven, you've got to live in that apartment with that other person. And as long as you're in that apartment, you're going to be tempted. And you've got to, you've got to face that fact. See, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. <clears throat> Verse 18 says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And Paul is being so honest with us here. He knows that in his flesh, he can't possibly do what's right. And some of us aren't very honest with ourselves, because some of us in this room think that we can do what's right in our flesh. 
And we work at that. But it's like running on a hamster wheel. It gets us nowhere. And we still find ourselves perpetually being tempted. Because we're trapped in our flesh. And we've got to get the right perspective. Even if, even if we want to do the right thing, we cannot find the unction in ourselves to live it out. It's just not there, guys. You're not going to be able to pound yourself in the chest. And, that's the way guys do it, sorry. Uh, you're not going like, to beat yourself in the chest and say, I can do it, I can do it, and find the unction and the boldness in yourself to simply walk it out in your flesh. You can't be good. There's only one that's good. There's only one that's right. The issue is that Paul, when he's describing this, is he's not making the connection between his true identity and the reality of his life. He's having a hard he's saying, I'm having a hard time living my true identity. That's what I'm struggling with. Verse 19. So he comes up with this law. Okay? He comes up with a law being like uh, he comes he, he he's making observation of his situation. And he he creates a governing law for this. And I'm calling it the law of ongoing temptation. Verse 19. For the, for the good that I, would, uh, that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would, uh, not that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That when I would do good, when I desire to do what's right, to do what I was supposed to, to be a good testimony, I find myself continuing to do evil. I continue to find myself messing up. And Paul observes these aspects of his life unfolding and then establishes this governing rule, the law of evil. When I want to follow God, my sin is lurking in the shadow. My sinfulness is lurking just behind me, <coughs> waiting to entrap me, waiting to find a vulnerable moment that it might rear its ugly head. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's heavy, isn't it? I mean, he's crying out here, O wretched man that I am. You don't see a whole lot of exclamation points in the Bible, by the way, especially in the New Testament. And here's one right here. Paul is crying out, I am so wretched. And then he poses this question, who shall deliver me from the body of this evil? Do you ever feel this way? As though you're a, a walking contradiction, you feel like a contradiction. I mean, don't you guys hate the feeling of not being authentic? Yeah. Oh man, I spent most of my life, you know, junior high and high school, not feeling authentic. You know what, you know what I'm, you know the struggle of that, you know that superficial identity that you're looking for when you're a young person, yeah. right? And you go through these phases where you're looking for an identity, something to relate to. When I was a, when I was a freshman in high school, okay, I wore, no, no one's going to even get this, but I, I wore khakis, I starched them, okay, starched them, khakis with a cuff and a crease. That was, that was the saying, right? Khakis with a cuff and a crease. Two Staffords, blue and gray, White and gray, blue and black, you know, different combinations, always just plain t shirts, okay? And, uh, and, a, and a chain. That was me. Now, in time, each year, each year I found myself 
trying to be something else, right? And so, you know, by the time I was a senior, <coughs> uh, you know, the, 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 you know, I was skateboarding and snowboarding and wakeboarding, and I was doing like extreme sports. So there was like the extreme sports version of me. Right? <laughs> yeah. And now I dress like I did in middle school. I'm, like, I'm right back to eighth grade, right? Like, kind of grungy, right? So, but here's the deal: is that that it's really difficult to feel authentic, and when you don't feel authentic, you don't feel comfortable. You don't feel right. Something's off. And to be a walking contradiction, it's just, it's not, it's not good. No, no one can live that way. And Paul's describing this struggle for us. And he finds himself crying out because he sees this contradiction in him. And he says, who can deliver me from this contradiction that makes me look like death? That makes me look like my old man? That when people look at my life, they can condemn me. And they can say, look, look, look. He is not like the Christ that he follows. What Christian wants to be that? No one. Ah, but there's an answer. The Bible. There's always an answer. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1. You ready? We're transitioning here to a new chapter. The thought is continued. You ready? Here's the thought continued. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation. It doesn't matter if I feel authentic. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter that I mess up. You hear me? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So check this out. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for the Christian who walks after the Spirit. So the issue is not whether or not you you find that unction. The issue is whether or not you find yourself walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And for that, it requires very, very little, my friend. You don't have to do anything. You have to be something. You have to rest in the true identity. Here's our key point. If we are under the law of the Spirit, then we are free from sin and free from condemnation. And when I say free from condemnation, what I mean is both external and internal condemnation. I'm talking about when people point at you and say things, it doesn't matter what they say. When you point at yourself and point out the contradictions, you guys know what that's like? When you're alone by yourself and you're not measuring up what it's like, it's Condemnation of self is ten times more painful than the contradiction or the, the, the condemnation of others. It tears you down. It's so much more divisive. But you're free from them. If you're under the law of the Spirit, then you are free from sin and free from condemnation. And I'm gonna I'm gonna break that down into three new subpoints, if you'll let me. Okay? Point one. 
If I'm dead to sin, I don't need to do things to cover up or hide my messes or weaknesses because God covered it all. Some of us work really hard at making sure that other people don't know our messes. Some of us work really hard at trying not to be exposed for for what's really going on in our heart. And that doesn't do us any good. We don't need to walk around covering up or hiding our messes or weaknesses because God's done the work. Colossians 1.12 says, Give thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And so if that's true in our lives, then if we sin a little, or if we have some weaknesses, we all just acknowledge the fact that we're weak. And we're forgiven. We don't have to be afraid of our weaknesses, and we don't have to cover them up. Point two, if I'm dead to sin, I don't even live in the fear that I might mess up again. <coughs> That's called suspension. That's the law. That's the old man. The one that fears whether or not they're going to live right tomorrow. If you walk around afraid that you're going to mess up again, how can you possibly do what God wants you to do? Walking on eggshells. That's not the path that God set you on. That's not who you are. Romans 5.9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, you shall be saved from, from wrath through him. That means the wrath to come. That means, that means the judgment to come. That means uh, all the, 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 the sin, uh, the judgment of sin that, that was ahead of us, we've been delivered from. So why should we live life as though Christ is standing in heaven with lightning bolts ready to throw them at us each time we mess up? That's not our God. That's not our God. He set us free. He's forgiven us. When he sees us, he sees us as a child. He's not looking down on you ready to condemn you. He's not looking down on you ready to cast judgment, to ready to put you under the wrath. That's not who he is. I am dead to sin, so I don't need to live in fear that I might mess up. I'm going to mess up. (coughs) And it's cool. He's got me. Three, if I'm dead to sin, I don't need to hate myself when I do mess up. Now, this is the one that I think is probably, for most of you, an ongoing issue. Is that, when, like, <clears throat> I can, I mean, as I look around the room, I know you guys. And some of you guys have some self-hate. When you mess up and things aren't right in your life, I know what you go through. You're not a child of wrath. You're not a child of sin. You're not a child of the law. You enter into his grace. Why can't we be graceful with ourselves the way that Christ was graceful with us? Why can't we see ourselves the way that Jesus does? Do not allow sin to throw you into a perpetual state of depression. When you mess up, recognize that you messed up, confess it before the living God, and move forward in power knowing that you're his son. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what good does it do pointing at yourself and telling yourself that you've messed up, being depressed about it, when all you have to do is confess it before God and he sees you as clean? Okay. Free to follow. Verse 3. For what what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Okay, I'm going to read that verse 5 again one, one more time. Listen carefully. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Key point number four. If we are under the law of the Spirit, <clears throat> then we are free to live in the power of God's Spirit for His mission. We're dead to sin. We're alive to Christ. We're free to follow. Okay? Three points. If I'm alive to Christ's Spirit, that means I am free to live knowing that I'm loved. Which makes me living uh, my life uh, living in, in security and strength. I can focus on the security of his love and I can move forward in power. If I have the mind of the spirit, that gives me the ability to move forward in power and strength and I don't have to be suspended. I don't have to be drawn back because I know that he loves me. 1 John 4.15 uh, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love uh, the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Right? We don't just have to not condemn ourselves anymore. We can actually live in love, knowing that we're accepted in Jesus Christ. That gives us the power to move forward, and it gives us freedom to follow after him. Two. These will all be online, if I'm moving too fast. You're thinking mad at me. <laughs> I love you, dude. With Christ's love. Two, if I am alive to Christ's spirit, I can give my mind to who I am called to be and what I am supposed to do. Right? I mean, if you look back at verse 4, isn't the focus minding certain things? You either mind... The flesh, meaning focus on the flesh. Like mind or obey or submit or follow or focus, right? I either mind the things of the flesh or I mind the things of the Spirit. And if I set my mind to the things of the Spirit, then I can be what I'm called to be. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. I don't have to fall back into that. It's like if you're so, you know... You know, have you ever watched a guy like learning to dance? <laughs> you ever seen this? Like the most, like like the, the most awful thing is watching a grown man who's never danced try to learn how to dance, and someone teaching them the steps, right? So what's that look like? There's, like sometimes they'll have like the feet on the ground, like and you're like the waltz, you know, you know, you're doing certain things. Now that guy never learns how to dance. <laughs> He just doesn't. He knows the steps, but he never learns how to dance because you know what? He doesn't have a rhythm. Because he's so focused on doing the steps. And he's so focused on following the rules that he doesn't have liberty to get his groove on. <laughs> right? He's not liberated to follow the rhythm and, and, and follow the music and the rhythm and the tempo of what's actually happening. He doesn't feel it in the soul. Right? Right? 
That was really stereotypical, Eric. <laughs> Gotta have the black man. When you hear the word soul, mmm. <laughs> Be there for me. So, so, so that's what I mean. Is like God has built in you the capacity to overcome sin. Because he's liberating you. To feel the rhythm, not to be a slave to the steps. This is what the guy looks like. Right? Be a slave. Like, where do I put my foot next? That's bondage. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Three, if I am alive to Christ's spirit, that means that I'm empowered by my very nature to live and act like Jesus. I mean, that's who, all, that's who, we, who we want to act like, right? That's what we're looking for. Is to not just overcome the struggle, but live in the power of Jesus Christ, conformed to his very image. That's what we want. I mean, the best dance partner is Jesus. Right? That husband is going to teach you to like get down, right? He knows all the dances. Right? We want to be conformed to that image. 1 Corinthians 2.1 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He wants to transform your mind. He wants to transform your life so you don't have to focus on your weaknesses. You don't have to focus on the struggle. I absolutely believe, for many of you, that if you begin to focus on the right thing, you don't have to be concerned so much with the wrong things. That some of you, if you lived out the Great Commission, you decided to join a ministry. You decided to join a small group Bible study. If you began to focus on the words of God, in the morning you looked for refreshment there rather than Instagram when you wake up. Right? Some of you, the first thing you do is you scroll through Instagram when you wake up. You get your phone, you roll over, and you lay there for 10 minutes. Listen, you're not going to find liberty there. You're not going to find liberty there. See, what needs to happen is many of you need to be focused and fixated with the mission and what you're supposed to do. Isn't that how Paul began this? The things that I'm supposed to do, I can't because I'm so suspended by my sin. If you focus your attention on who you are in Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do, the sin part is no thing. It's not a thing. Your weaknesses aren't a thing. Your depression becomes not a thing. So are you trying to defeat sin on your own? It says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So you can't do it in your flesh. You can't. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So how do you mind the things of the Spirit? The things of the Spirit. I love that phrase. You don't just mind the Spirit. You mind the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? The Spirit wrote this. The Spirit, the, the, the breath of the living God inspired these words. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. Is this a thing of the Spirit? Where does the Spirit live? Inside me? Inside you? Inside you? So if I mind the things of the Spirit, then I'm also minding the fact that God's given me the church. And then I can lean into it. And then I can be a partaker in it. And then I'm knit to it. If I'm minding the things of the Spirit, that means that I'm daily in God's Word and I'm daily with the church. 
And if I do that, man, that's absolute liberty. I'm not a slave to sin. It doesn't own me. That dual nature, it's not a thing. I'm a single-minded individual alive in Christ. I've been set free from the bondage of this world. I've been made alive in Christ. I'm, I'm a co-heir with the Son of God. This flesh that I carry, it's not a thing. It doesn't have to own me. I don't care where people have to point, they point their finger at me and say, look at how they messed up. That's not going to hold me back. I'm set free from that. I move forward in faith. I'm not afraid of what the world can do. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of wrath. I'm not afraid of judgment. That's the law. I'm alive. I can move. I've got rhythm. I've got his book. All the steps are there for me. I can learn them. And guess what? The spirit inside, inside me translated, translates it so that I can know it and be it. It is my identity. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My carnal man, my old man, I can take them off like a t-shirt and I can throw it in the dirty clothes and I put on the new man every day. I mind the things of the spirit. And I don't wallow in my weakness. And if Kaya can be that, there's nothing we can't do. You're not going to be afraid to be a missionary. <coughs> You're not going to be afraid to speak truth. You'll learn how to prioritize your time and steward things rightly. Money won't be an issue. Material good won't be an issue. What people think in your reputation won't be an issue. That's living Jesus Christ. That's being alive in the Spirit. That's the law of the Spirit. And that's what we need to live in if we're going to be used as a ministry. And so some of us today know that we, we see ourselves in a cycle of sin. Right? We keep coming back to it because we see that thing as a struggle. And we put our struggle on a pedestal. And we've mon- monumentalized it. Right? We've made a monument of our sin. And we keep going back there to observe because we feel like it owns us. We feel like, man, I just can't. And you go there and you don't know you're doing it. You're bound down to it and you're yielding to it. And it's your master. And some of us today need to pray to God and ask. And as the worship team comes up, we need to take the time to ask God to set us free from that. That we might yield to the Spirit. And then we might be able to live in Him. Cool? Let's do that. Let's not be held back. Alright, let's pray.